You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Welcome back, Christians. Um, <laughs> to your election watch update. Also, how many of you were shocked when the episode started and you heard an actual official opener and it didn't just start with Evan and I going into 10 minutes of banter? That comes now. Yeah. You but don't, at you least don't get away from it. You got the introduction and, you know, all the people who came to listen to the podcast weren't just like, who are these two men randomly talking about absolutely nothing? I clicked on an episode about Bayard Rustin and they've been talking about themselves for 10 minutes. I have no idea what's going on. Wow. Rude. Your thing keeps going yellow. It's fine. I'm watching it. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Exactly. We have an official introduction so people really know what they're listening to. We give a trigger warning now, so... Which is fair because we never do, and almost every episode one of us (laughs) says something extremely (laughs) offensive, either wording used at the time or, you know, something to do like that. Well, not trying to be offensive. No, no. I don't want to be those guys that are like, we offend people, but it's okay because we offend everybody. (laughs) No, no, no. I just meant we use... When we're reading (laughs) historical things, sometimes something might be triggering and we never really fairly warned people who may be upset by that so true so now we know so here we are hopefully i hope to god by the time this episode drops the election has been called because we're recording this on saturday it is day five of tuesday well it has been called on uh something what um i don't remember the new yorker no the Onion? <laughs> no um, um, um i don't remember the link but it was called and apparently it's the one that the media uses the Associated Press? Nope. No. I don't remember. We'll just skip that. Okay, just take that out. Anyways, <laughs> as of Saturday morning, the election still has not been called. And for, if you're not in America... Um, I'm sure everybody else is freaking out too because they're like, please get that motherfucker out of <laughs> like there. He's like trying to destroy America. the world. <laughs> Honestly though, all of our allies actually probably want Trump out because oh, yeah. he spent his entire term getting closer to Russia, North Korea, and... Um, uh, other places that <laughs> other allies don't necessarily agree with. So yeah. they're like, um, can we get the, the militarized United States away from them, please? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I saw a lot of um, of queer allies, you know, in England, Australia, especially, um, you know, it's pulling for Biden. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, it's so funny because he de- Biden delivered that very adequate address on Friday night. Wasn't that like when he spoke, I was like, whoa, is this what it's supposed to feel like right? when the president speaks? I'm not immediately traumatized. Like in any other I feel eased. Like I feel I'm, I felt comfortable mm-hmm. in any other situation. I would have been like, shut the fuck up, Biden. You're not going to do anything. But in after four years and especially after Trump's address the night before, it was <laughs> I don't like, even know what that was. <laughs> That address the night before well, it was a joke. It, it was what was it that? It was embarrassing. But you know what's really crazy is the fact that Fox News, after the Biden address, 
reacted the way that most people reacted after the Trump address, where they're just like, I don't even know what I was listening to. Honestly, I, it just all ran together for me, just a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> they're so, they've been so persecuted because people kept telling them that they were being racist and hateful and big, bigoted, and then they're like, and now folks are just going to keep saying those things about us. No fucking shit, Laura Ingram, Candace Owens. <laughs> they're going to say that Fuck about off. Them. They're going to call me racist. I only just don't like black people, though. <laughs> Does that make me racist? No. It's just as my preference. <laughs> um, anyways, so I literally, I have not slept last night, and this is not an exaggeration. I literally had pictures of the states turning blue and red in my head. That was my dream. They just kept turning blue. They kept turning red and blue and red. <laughs> That's so traumatic. <laughs> you know what, though? David hasn't been sleeping either, and I get really annoyed. He's been waking up at like five or six every day, and I like to sleep till at least eight. Well, how would you sleep? I, I cannot sleep. Oh, I can sleep, because guess what? <laughs> me being awake or asleep isn't going to change shit, so I'm going to sleep. I know that. I know. I don't expect that me being awake is going to change it. I just want it to end. I was, I was, again, I was really on edge. You have to night. do your breathing exercises and put all your thoughts Bitch, in the box in your I've head and close the box. <laughs> and if they peek back out of the box, you put them right back in that box and you close that box. <laughs> I know about the box. My therapist had me do the box too. Lock my shit in the box. It works wonders. But I thought that I expect that I can change anything. I just want it to be over. I just want to know. I just want to move on. Mm -hmm. You know, because we know what's going to happen after this. That's what's what's even worse. That we know it's not going to be over. We know he's going to Oh my god, sue. all the the months long <laughs> battles of recount, 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 recount. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the suit all of that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. At least Did you see he said he was going to have to be dragged out of the White House? I saw something. Is that something he really said or is that something I don't know. I'm just going to assume he really said it because it's Trump. <laughs> I I saw something that there was clickbait, but I don't know. But Oh, maybe also it was not surprised if he would. Not surprised. I just, you know, it's obvious that it's over. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's so just incredibly unlikely that he could flip. He would have to flip all the states, at right. least five of them. Mm -hmm. And he just not going to. Right. But anyways, whatever. So, so hopefully we have an answer. This episode drops on Wednesday, the 11th. And really no idea if we'll have an answer yet, folks. Who knows? What is interesting, even if it's not the candidate that I wanted at all, and I was very clear about that. Yes. And even if I have issues with Kamala Harris, I still think that it's amazing that she will most likely be our first female vice president. And I do think that she's a great politician. I don't like a lot of her policies. I think that there's a there's some dishonesty there. Um, but I do think, though, because I, I was actually having almost this exact same conversation with David last night, mm -hmm. um, and I said that I think she knows that she is in such a historical position. She's the first woman, the first black woman to be elected as a vice president of the United States. She's going to go down in history books, yep. and her name will live on. So I think she knows that, and I think she's going to, hopefully, this is what I'm hoping for, is that she's going to use her position to really push for more liberal ideas and kind of use her position as like a a more affluential vice president than just you know because sometimes i feel like vice presidents just hang out oh yeah <laughs> you well know? you can be either or you have seen presidents uh, vice presidents vice presidents that have been very active i mean honestly to 
to not to give him any credit, but Mike Pence has been a very active vice president. Mostly, he's because he's working for a moron and he's kind of had to do mm. all the work. But he has been very active. So Kamala can be very active, and I think she has an an I think she has an opportunity to redeem herself. That's what I mean. Yeah, her time as a DA really hangs over her, and they really point to the fact of how she was responsible for so many more black and brown people being locked up in. California, how she had an opportunity to change that and she deliberately chose the opposite path. So I hope now that she, you know, she helps to implement real changes around police reform. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I'm hoping she she knows she's going down in history. She knows she's going to be a legacy. She knows all of those little girls are going to be looking up to her like, wow, I can really do that. And I think she's going to hopefully use that, you know, and redeem herself and really enact some very good things that help the community yeah and then I, you know you got to remember that obama had a legacy that wasn't great either when he got i mean he wasn't as well known but i am back maybe he was very comparable to kamala and how known he was before the 2008 yeah. election and same thing you know he opposed gay marriage he opposed a lot of things that when he became president he turned around on and would I prefer to have someone who is more consistent, like Bernie Sanders? Absolutely. But if this is what Elizabeth got, Warren was my dream. Oh, don't I can't <laughs> talk about Liz. Um, but for all those, you know, for people that I wish that were more progressive and more consistent, at the very least, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of those good people put in Biden's. Um, uh, cabinet mm-hmm. and in his administration, he better I do take care that. of Stacey Abrams. Oh, he's got, he's got a fucking he take care better of take care Abrams. of Stacey Abrams. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely. I think he will. I think he's gonna put her wherever she fucking wants to go. And I and the one thing about Biden that I do agree because I don't think he's a greedy politician. Um, I think that a greedy in the sense that I don't think he wants all the power and all his people to have the power. Right. Which you do see in a lot of times with politicians. I think he's going to have a very diverse cabinet. And I think that a lot of people that ran are going to have an opportunity to serve in his cabinet. And it's, you know, it'll help us. Yes. We'll see what happens, though. Who knows? Also, by the 11th, Civil War could be (laughs) That's also true. This podcast could be playing in underground bunkers of (laughs) queer shin rebel fighters. And who knows? Jesus. Anyways, but yeah. But let's keep (laughs) talking about the election today. So speaking of Stacey Abrams, Uh we're just going to swing right on into the episode yeah i just gotta pull it up on mine do you have oh, it on wow yours? so i well, guess i'll just get started here while we wait for evan to catch the fuck up as usual <laughs> we've been meaning to get around to talking about atlanta for quite some time but i've been putting it off until just the right time now the recent election has motivated us to pay tribute to georgia and the amazing stacy abrams by celebrating the city known as the black LGBTQ plus Mecca for more than a hundred years, Atlanta has served as a beacon of queer life in, in an area of America often categorized as the Bible Belt. All the beauty and rich culture of the United States South has been clouded with the centuries of racism, homophobia, and oppression, which has caused so many to overlook the countless individuals who have stood up to a wall of hate and made a way for themselves and their own marginalized siblings. Today, we celebrate many of those folks by celebrating Atlanta and the state of Georgia. Yeah, um, I, you know, and it is true because it's so easy to be frustrated and angry at the South. 
and and in some ways I still am. You know, I'm gonna be angry because even if you say, well, they're overcoming you know hundreds of years of oppression. I'm not angry at the black people down mm-hmm. there. I'm not angry at the queer people. I'm right. angry at the same white people who are, are still, holding it. Yeah, right. Who you're you're being confronted again and again with your racism and literally your since slavery ended. <laughs> like <laughs> it's. It's right there. Like you lost a whole fucking war over it. You Jim Crow era. You know the marches on Selma, the Montgomery boycott, bus boycott. All of this happens, and you're still like, I don't see what the fucking problem is. To we're be we're great down here. Everything's fine. You see a problem? <laughs> I don't see a problem, Earl. But but the, <laughs> but the great point that's been raised is the fact that there have been so many black and brown and queer um, people in these southern states such as georgia who have been fighting for decades for change and they have no other option yeah i mean their other option is to leave but you know a lot of people can't leave as easily as we did exactly and then and i do want to pay tribute to john lewis who we will mention later on who was you know a georgia representative and was also very influential in the changes that are happening and mm-hmm. he, of course he passed away this year uh, very influential on Stacey abrams and in, in supporting her and and all the work that she's done and, and a lot of other people that have supported her so a lot of folks to thank today for saving us from you know the fire um, it was almost there. That fire was. I, when I went to sleep on election night, I was like, I really don't know what I'm gonna wake up to. Yeah. I was like, I last time I last time this happened, I woke up and Donald Trump was our president. Yeah. Like, what's gonna happen tonight? When I was looking at all the red, I was surprised by oh, how you were spiraling. I was. That was in the morning. You were spiraling. Yeah, I was. I was. First of all, You're I was like, not spiraling. You're like, I was it's not over. spiraling. It's done. I was making peace with it. <laughs> That's what I had done. I woke up that morning and I meditated and I said, you know, I did a whole meditation on acceptance. And just making peace with things. You were spiraling. <laughs> I was like, I I need to be prepared for four more years. We're just gonna we're gonna pull it together. We're gonna push through. You know, and it's just that whole thing that you do in your mind. You're like, this is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, so yes, um, I will not call it spiraling, but I was struggling. Anyways, we'll go back. Just as with most other provinces in the early United States, Georgia held on to most of the penal codes set by English rule, including the sodomy laws. Though it seems the codes were not enforced until 1817, nearly 100 years after English colonizers took over the region. By 1868, more land had been stolen from native tribes, and the Mississippi Territory was divided into the states of Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. The colony, turned state, chose to adopt the thriving city of Atlanta as its new capital. Within 30 years, Georgia was making waves when a sodomy trial reached the state Supreme Court. In Hodges' first state, a 14-year-old boy was put on trial for com- a 14-year-old boy was put on trial for committing acts of sodomy on another boy. However, the high court reversed the judgment. And I couldn't find any other information about Hodges. I mean, anytime a case is more than 100 years old, I very, very few of them have enough information, especially before 1900s. It's very hard to find information on it. Well, yeah, so, especially when you add to the fact it's like a queer thing and it involved a yeah. minor. Like, there's no way you're going to. Right. Yeah, that's, that's probably just. Yeah. Gone. So no idea if these were just two consensual boys or mm-hmm. what was going on there. Um, as the 20th century dawned, so did the steerings of a new era. Georgia had been one of the most densely populated slave states of the pre-Civil War. 
Nearly 44% of the state's population was comprised of newly freed blacks. Um, Union General William T. Sherman had ordered that confiscated plantations be divided up among former slaves. Had there been uh, had there been follow through with Special Field Order Number 15, it is certain that Georgia would have looked drastically different today. Unfortunately, Andrew Johnson, in contention as one of America's most racist presidents in history, revoked Sherman's order. The limitation in rural communities caused many black Georgians to flock to large cities, especially Atlanta. Three years after the Civil War ended, 20% of the Georgia State House was comprised of black delegates, making it the largest showing of freedmen in a state legislature. Which that's pretty impressive, but... Mm -hmm. um, of course, the uh, order got revoked, and they're like, oh, no, all that land, that ain't for you. Sorry. Oh, yeah. We're going to give it back to the good old white boys. Yeah. Johnson was really There's nothing just, wrong here, though. He was horrible for Reconstruction. I mean, mm -hmm. he was, he was um, talking about vice presidents. He was um, it, Lincoln's vice president. Lincoln's assassinated. Yeah. Johnson takes over. He had ch deliberately chosen a more... Um, right-leaning conservative vice president as people will often do yeah, They'll to, kinda to balance it to out balance to show out. hey i'm not going to be that asshole who just takes over and exactly and then he gets assassinated and fucking johnson is in place and he was are there theories that johnson was involved in the assassination i mean there are but i there's not we're starting theory. a whole conspiracy queer theory we we're doing it questions there's not i mean it's, it's hard because there are a lot of conspiracy there's so many conspiracies i mean literally we know that there was a conspiracy to kill lincoln mm -hmm. but there's so many ties to who ran that and who wanted him to um and then you could fall into that very deep hole of the the correlations between lincoln's assassination oh my and god don't even kennedy's get me started on the kennedy's assassination people think lyndon b johnson was responsible for Kennedy being assassinated and they think Andrew Johnson was responsible for Lincoln being assassinated. But all I know is Andrew Johnson was a horrible president. He really was so awful, so racist. And all the f the few good measures that were put in place were immediately dismantled. And it's so by him. horrible because literally Lincoln just did an entire civil war mm -hmm. and freed these people and was like, all right, let's get this shit right. Let's I mean, he probably wasn't going to get it right, but he was yeah. at least trying to step in that direction. And then now this guy gets president because Lincoln's assassinated. And he's like, yeah. nope, psych, get, you know. Well, it's just so ridiculous. You know, Lincoln, you know, extends the um, Emancipation Proclamation. And then Johnson comes along and, yeah, he doesn't make the slaves go back, but he doesn't give them any access to do anything else like you're right. not allowed to own land you're not allowed to vote well that slowly gets taken away you're not allowed to work most jobs you can't live in certain parts of town like we're not going to let you do anything in fact entire states are going to ban blacks from even living there mm -hmm. but you're free i mean they really was yeah. they he really was trying to be have a hint of like get on a boat and get the fuck out of here i mean which is yeah. what lincoln also wanted to do he was just doing it in a more diplomatic way right However, white opponents, including the newly formed KKK... Which endorsed Donald Trump, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, we all know he mm -hmm. leans hard with them. <laughs> oh, I found out an interesting story about mm -hmm. my ancestry, about how my uh, grandfather, my great-grandfather, great-grandfather, um, used to attend KKK rallies. Wow, that's, fun. that's yeah. fun. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't be that surprised. I'm not really, but it's also like, mm -hmm. huh... I had, like, whenever the uh, Civil War happened, I had, like, a great by ever how many grandfather who fought for the Confederacy, so. Yeah. Oh, I know I had great-grandfathers oh. that fought for the Confederacy. Absolutely. And isn't it so crazy how we're here today? 
Yeah. We we ruined the bloodline <laughs> in their eyes. Hey, trying, <laughs> trying to right the wrongs of our fathers, right? Trying. If my great-grandfather's going to sit in a fucking KKK meeting house, you know, night after night, I'm going to fucking sit here week after week and talk about the evils of racism, you know? There you go. The least. The KKK launched a visceral attack on black Georgians, killing or assaulting more than 335 freedmen in 1868 alone. And freedmen was a, a term that was used a lot during this time period. I think uh, Douglas, um, Frederick Douglass is the one that coined it, but he could have been, I could be completely wrong about that, but it was used often by both black supporters and whites uh, allies. Um, so that's why I use that term in here. Mm -hmm. Finally, the U.S. government sent in the military to overthrow the corrupt capital and reinstated black legislators who had been removed. Yet white politicians had learned a new method of pushing down black votes. The next few decades saw a consistent rollout of voter suppression laws. This is very triggering. <laughs> it's yeah. like, didn't we just witness this? Right. This is, that's why it's in here. These are often classified by the term disenfranchised, which literally means to deny a franchise a legal right or of some privilege or immunity, especially to deprive of the right to vote. So when you're hearing that term, disenfranchised voters, that means people are being denied the right to mm -hmm. vote. This is often done through implementing poll taxes and literacy tests, which disproportionately affect a group of people that have been denied wealth and education, right? So we're going to, you have to own land in order to vote, or you have to Well, we just pay. took all your land away, so. Exactly, right? You, you're not, we're not, we have laws that legally say you can't own land, and we took away any land that you did have, but you have to own land to vote, so we're not racist, it's just that you don't own any land and neither do any other black people. Um, there's also, in addition, there were countless stories of taxes and tests being used more aggressively against black citizens while relaxed against poor white farmers, which was literally a thing, you know, a black man might come and he would have to take a 30 page question or 30 mm -hmm. question, um, test on um, being American. And then the white guy behind him, they'd be like, tell me the colors of the American flag. And he'd be like, blue green white and they'd be like good enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> like literally it was just it was whatever you could do you could just right. say you didn't have to prove that this person failed a test you just said that they failed the literacy test mm -hmm. and so they couldn't vote right that's mm -hmm. yeah the tactic prohibited the uprising of the poor which had started to gain momentum as poor blacks and poor whites unified for a brief period of time and what i mean like this is so for a time period and uh, throughout the 1870s really poor white farmers and poor black people came together because they're all, both being oppressed by rich white right and they owners. can you know what they can put their forces together and figure something out exactly so by doing this by giving leniency in the poll taxes and in the lenient and the literacy tests for white farmers poor white farmers it again reestablishes you're better than the blacks yeah you're poor and you're the lowest of the whites but at least you're better than the blacks and again, and that's that how you idea. always get that group of people behind you. Yep. Other one, one group enough. As white oppression grew, so did the black population of Georgia. By 1900, nearly 47% of the state was black. Yet Democrats had managed to pass enough Jim Crow laws and voter suppression tactics to remove the final black legislature from the state house. White primaries were instituted and freedmen were further denied the shrinking rights they had held for such a short time. In spite of the backlash of white rage, black communities thrived in other ways. The New York Harlem Renaissance wave of black culture spread all the way down to Atlanta. Harlem served as a small queer revolution in itself, though the gay movement was still decades away from stepping out into the open. 
Still, many LGBTQ people did find a way to make a life together in the city of Atlanta. One oral history tells of a lesbian who found three photo albums full of her mother's female lovers. The pictures dated back as early as 1918. I would love to see that album. Right, I know. I've been doing on our, uh, for anybody who follows us on Instagram, I've been doing like every weekday I have like a different thing. So Monday I've been posting like vintage photos, mm-hmm. um, which are, I are very fascinating to me to see like yeah. the old black and white or the old like, you know, Polaroids of like back, back, back. Well, I'm saying like it's so far away, but really just like, I don't know when the thing was invented, like the 1900s, the yeah, early, early 19, the late 1800s, yeah. something like that. So it's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting to see. We have this idea that queer life was so hidden and it, in ways it was, but in other areas it wasn't like when you, you knew that there were queer groups in Hollywood, there's huge gay parties, mm-hmm. but you just don't come right out and say it. You could kiss the person next to you. You're walking around. Lesbians are walking around in, in so-called uh, men's clothing or masculine mm-hmm. clothing. And that's fine. And you know that they're together, but we just can't talk about it. It's like don't it ask, don't tell. It's literally that's how our society mm-hmm. operated for a long time. Mm-hmm. In the midst of the chaos, Atlanta queers continued to thrive. The magazine Gay Atlanta was released in 1937. The term was not yet used to describe the LGBTQ community, but the guide directed folks to plenty of queer-friendly spaces, including the bar Queen of Clubs, which hosted drag shows and featured some of the most popular queens of the day. As early as 1913, drag performer Anthony Arima began parading through the streets in feminine clothing protesting the anti-cross-dressing laws. The Atlanta Constitution, a Georgia newspaper, published this comment on Mr. Arima. Is it proper? Also, is it legal for a real ladylike man to further simulate femininity and appear on the streets dressed in women's garb, provided this man be a professional female impersonator? This is a question which is troubling Miss, beg your pardon, Mr. Arima who is nightly appearing at one of Atlanta's moving picture houses. Also, it is troubling to Chief Beavers. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> That's what I say. Right? Like, who's a bothering? <laughs> That's the point. It's not. That's exactly Everybody, what, that's exactly you know what Arima was doing. You know the biggest problem with the Midwest? <laughs> what? There's a lot of them. <laughs> but I'm going to say the biggest one is everybody wants to be involved in everybody's fucking business. Mm-hmm. The Western the east, hospitality. On the East Coast... Or even on the West Coast, nobody like bothers anybody. Like you don't have neighbors showing up and this and that and the other. Like you really don't care. Yeah. You just everybody fucking leaves each other alone. You go to the Midwest and everybody wants to be in everybody's fucking business. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got these crazy fucking laws. Well, that's like uh, when I came out here and everybody's like, um, you know, it's just not that friendly on the East and West Coast. I'm like, I don't fuck, I don't fucking want your freak friendly. You're f- like, oh, I'm so nice and I'll bring you a pie, but I'll also vote for your marriage to dissolve. And I'll also Love be ya. in all your fucking business and gossip about you. Right? Like, I don't want that. The, Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> the Midwest is constantly saying, I don't care what you do, but then they vote like they do care what you do. Because on they're the all East, paying attention. Exactly. And on the East and West Coast, they don't care what you do and they literally do not give a fuck. They will hit you with a bus and keep driving and they don't care. Exactly. And that's what I like. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> But just as queer life was starting to emerge into public life in the Atlanta districts of Midtown, uh, Candler Park, and Little Five Points, the KKK experienced a revival as well. At least 450 lynchings took place between the Reconstruction era, era of 1882 and the Civil Rights Awakening of the last 1930s. 
95% of those lynched were black, and the other 5% were often different minority members, such as the lynching of Jewish factory superintendent Leo Frank, who was accused of murdering a young Catholic employee. It seemed that racial divides would only continue to grow in a country where white nationalism proudly took root. Even with the election of the somewhat progressive president in Franklin Roosevelt, racism against blacks, Latinos, and Asians, along with strong anti-Semitism and anti-immigrant sentiments began to rise again as the Great Depression came to an end. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Paul's mom. I just want to say that Evan and Paul have done a fabulous job. They weren't so good in episodes 1 through 20, but now that they're in the 100s, they are the bomb.com. And welcome back. So what we were talking about right before we left was how in the 1930s, there's this increase in nationalism, which came after World War One, and there was a lot of talk about this, how America didn't want to get involved in anything. And so even as Hitler is starting to create waves in Europe and people are starting to become fearful and it's true it's really clear that anti-semitism is on the climb there and even after he starts putting people in concentration camps and then marching through Europe and conquering other countries America was still very much like we're not getting involved we're isolationalist mm -hmm. we are Americans and we're just going to focus on our own thing and in that there was also this very much this wave of expelling anyone else who also was different and the uh the immigrants and, mm -hmm. and things like that so all of this starts to grow so again as we talk about a lot this kind of wave of acceptance that happened in the 20s and 30s starts to die down and it probably would have had a much harder crash especially for black and brown folks if not for the interruption of world war ii which caused a sharp shift in american thinking Many white soldiers served overseas with fellow black countrymen, and though their return home was only the beginning of an ongoing battle of racial progress in America, a spark was ignited. The LGBTQ+, however, would face one of their fiercest battles yet. McCarthy's Lavender Scare began with an open campaign on queer Americans disguised as an attack on so-called commie lovers. This wave of homophobia and unfounded fear spread to the state and local departments across the U.S., Though Georgia had finally reduced the crime of homosexuality in 1949 from life imprisonment to one to ten years in prison, the scrutiny on Atlanta queer life increased drastically. In 1953, the event known as the Atlanta Public Library Perversion Case broke out in news outlets across the nation. And isn't it interesting, whenever we research a topic, almost always some part of its current state or part of its traumatic past goes back to the fucking Lavender Scare. Right. Every time. Oh, yeah. Just always in there like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm here. I'm just going to slip my way in. I'm a slippery yep. snake. Yep. For several years, the restrooms of uh, the Atlantic Public Library had served as tea rooms, a coded term used to signify that a bar or cafe, or the, in this case, a restroom, was a place for LGBTQ plus people to meet up or hook up, or meet or hook up. After being tip -offed, tipped off uh, to the tea room, Atlanta police installed a two-way mirror in the restroom and began to stake out the cruising spot, which that's really fucking creepy. Yeah, right? You're like going to the bat, like... 
Yeah, no. such an invasion of privacy. That is a real invasion of privacy. Over the next week, a total of 20 queer men were arrested on sodomy charges. All were charged with a fine of $200 and sentenced to two to three years in prison. In addition, the men were outed in the local papers and several were forced to move in with their parents or leave Atlanta altogether. 19 of the 20 men were fired from their jobs and faced additional harassment as their home address as their home addresses were also published in the papers. While this was the most well-known scandal to hit the newsstands, raids and stakeouts, raids and stakeouts, and other queer cruising areas also took place across the city. I that is the next level. Like you went it as really far is. as to install a two-way mirror and observe people using the restroom. Like right, and also I tried to find it, but I'm sure there was also some entrapment. I'm sure there was also an officer staked out to ask men oh, if they wanted something. Some, you the, know. Yeah, some like blonde exactly. police officer or whatever, whatever <laughs> police officer was hip in the area. You know, mm-hmm. you see, and we've covered stories in the past of of the same exact thing where officers go and they literally engage in the full act of you know. Police oh yeah, they're not going to. Not get job. the pleasure that comes with it. Exactly, and it, and as just as they're finished, they're like, uh, and you're arrested. Literally, it's like <laughs> they just found the the newest member of the police squad. This 18 year old guy just graduated <laughs> high school. He's like, I don't want to stand at the gay bathroom door. They're like, right. Timmy, go stand at the bathroom door. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get sucked off, and you're gonna arrest every guy that sucks you off. <laughs> so, but yeah, in all seriousness, though, I mean, 20 men, 19 of them lose their job. They're it completely destroys your entire it life does. for being gay. Ex- exactly, that's exactly what it was. Or being queer, I should yeah. say. But as the Atlanta police wasted time and funds on these stakeouts by improving the lighting in Piedmont Park or actively tracking down so-called cross-dressers, the black and queer community were concerned with more important matters. The 1955 Montgomery Boys... The 1955 Montgomery bus boycott in Georgia set off a wave of civil unrest. Just two years later, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC, was organized in Atlanta by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and openly gay man Bayard Rustin. Though Rustin would remain devoted to King in the black civil rights movement, he was forced into the shadows due to his orientation. Representative Adam Powell Jr., a jealous and homophobic politician from New York, threatened to spread a rumor that Bayard and King were actually lovers. Knowing that this lie would harm the growing image of Dr. King, Rustin stepped away from the SCLC. Yet many more black LGBTQ plus people were leading the charge in Atlanta and across the country. And when the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, black Georgians were once again given a legal path to voting in their state. In 1972, Andrew Young became the first black Georgian to serve in the United States Congress in 64 years. And the fight for equality was only just beginning. With the Stonewall Riots of New York igniting the queer revolution, Atlanta quickly joined the foray. The Georgia Gay Liberation Front was founded in 1971, and that same year, Atlanta held its first infamous Pride Parade. Within five years, a gay newspaper, the Atlanta Barb, an LGBTQ plus center, and any and an MCC church, which is a queer-led religious group, were all thriving in the capital city. Um, local government noticed the rising community and established a gay liaison in Atlanta. In 1975, young representative John Lewis sponsored Georgia's first ever pro-LGBTQ legislation. Yeah, so John Lewis, I mean, very young there. This is uh, about 10 years, I think, after he marched on Selma um, with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., about uh, 12 years. 
Um, and so he was consistently an ally to the LGBTQ his entire life, consistently fighting for the civil rights of people everywhere across the country. Very much a hero. And it is an honor that, you know, even though it came after his death, we did get rid of a man that was so heinously abusive to John Lewis. Mm-hmm. In the 19, as the 1970s drew to a close, queer Georgians roared more loudly than ever when notorious bigot Anita Bryant came to lead her anti-queer campaign at the Georgia World Congress Center, a wave of outrage swept the Capitol. The following year, more than 10,000 queer Atlantans traveled to Washington, D.C. for the 1979 Gay and Lesbian March on Washington. Yet as the momentum charged forward, a looming foe began to take shape in the form of a mysterious plague. While much of the coverage around the AIDS crisis is often focused on New York and San Francisco, the city of Atlanta was also at the heart of the pandemic. It was here that CDC headquarters were located, and it was in Atlanta that some of the first warnings were issued around the dangers of the disease. As CDC administrator, Dr. Francis desperately tried to get to the get the Reagan administration to pay attention to the rapidly spreading illness, the numbers of dead bodies mounted. Though some attention was being paid to the East and West Coasts, the poor Black South was almost completely ignored. Even after the first International AIDS Conference was hosted in Atlanta in 1985, Francis still couldn't even draw enough funds to afford $2 sanitary door handles for his laboratory. Reagan's administration had labeled this as a black gay disease, and the death of queer people of color was the very least of his concerns. To add to the weight of hopelessness, another legal decision cast another blow to LGBTQ Georgians. And we talked about this in our AIDS uh, crisis coverage about how it was first a black disease. Well, no, it was first a gay disease, and then it was a black disease, and then it stayed this black gay disease, and it was one or the other. So Mm -hmm. either group... They didn't need to care. Yeah, you don't have group. to care. That's not the yeah. good old boys. Exactly. And, and and to this day, there's still a lot of stigma around that. Oh, absolutely. In July of 1982, police officer Keith Torek issued a citation to Matthew Hardwick for throwing a beer bottle into a trash can outside of a bar in Atlanta. The officer insisted this was evidence of public drinking and the fact that Hardwick worked at the bar didn't matter to Torek. Um, there's also the fact that it was a gay bar and definitely just trying to fuck with a guy. Mm-hmm. The bartender missed his hearing but managed to settle his citation out of court with a fine of $50. However, Torek apparently had a grudge to pursue and showed up at Hardwick's home on August 3rd with an invalid warrant. Letting himself into the home, Officer Torek barged into Michael's room and witnessed him engaging in sexual activities with another man. Torque arrested both men for sodomy and hauled them downtown, but was forced to release the prisoners when the DA refused to process a charge made on a fraudulent warrant. Um, and also Torek, the officer, admitted later that the only reason he actually arrested both men was because they gave him an attitude, which just goes to the entire power complex of officers. Oh, yeah. Of like you barged How into someone's dare home, they right? Give me attitude when I decided <laughs> that I was going to use this fake warrant to burst into their house when they were having their own intimate moment, and you're going to give me attitude, right? It's eight thirty on a, in the morning, and he charges into someone's house, and they're like, "Get the fuck out of our house!" And he's like, "Oh, you're going to give me attitude? Well, I'm an officer, so we'll see about that." And that attitude remains today. Yeah, it's not changed. Exactly. Um, 
Michael Hardwick then sued Attorney General Michael Bowers and the state of Georgia for their sodomy laws. Hardwick v. Bowers would be a landmark case in LGBTQ history, taking the case of sodomy all the way to the Supreme Court, one of the first cases in the U.S. National attention around the case drew sympathy as Hardwick had been charged in the comfort and safety of his own home due to a gross intrusion of the police. The often used sticking point of, I don't care what you do, just don't do it in public, pushed many conservative arguments back on their heels. Still, in 1986, the court ruled in favor of Bowers and thus Georgia. Michael Hardwick died of AIDS in 1991 and remained disheartened by the great loss. Seven years after his death, Georgia repealed its sodomy laws with the Supreme Court ruling of 6-1. to one. Five years after that, the court formally reversed the ruling in 2003. Michael Hardwick had then been gone for 12 years, but his legacy allowed for countless queer Georgians to love in peace. Yeah, and, and like I said, it was very much this idea, like, even if people didn't like the fact that Hardwick was gay, they didn't really have an argument because, again, the officer's on an invalid warrant in your house and he's catching you with another man and so you couldn't really argue that this was an affront to the public because the officer shouldn't have been in your house in the first fucking place. Today Atlanta remains a hotbed of queer culture, especially queer black culture. It is not shocking that these same people are the ones creating a revolution in a state that has held conservative for nearly three decades. It also remains monumental that the same year civil rights icon and longtime ally John Lewis left this earth that the wave of progress would finally begin to catch up. However, we must make no mistake, there is still much to be done. We still have a long way to go in terms of equal and equitable rights. The AIDS crisis is still raging in Atlanta and it mostly ignored by the media. In fact, it is the leading cause of death of black men in Georgia between the ages of 35 and 44. Lack of health care, transportation, and poverty levels all drive the inability to access services needed. In addition, the stigma around homosexuality is still strong in the South, and conflating AIDS with gay deters many from reaching out for help. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand, and we've talked about this over and over again in our podcast, mm-hmm. but unless you have lived in or spent a significant amount of time in the Midwest and South, you really don't understand that our country is still so severely divided on that issue Uh if you're living in a more liberal area or like chicago or you're living somewhere even in chicago you're going to witness it but you're at least in a city but if you're not on one of the coasts and you're in one of those southern or midwestern states it's totally different you know you literally evan and i used to you know like we've said we were out but we weren't those gays you know we didn't want to be you know the we, we would have never went to see rocky horror or anything like that you know we had to try to live as close to heteronormative as possible because hey you know nobody would bother us that way yep exactly. so the idea of you know having someone like that and then say oh you need to go get tested for aids they're like no no no, that's like that's like a gay thing and i'm not trying to do that and blah 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 yeah and a lot of people just don't get that yeah, it's it's absolutely true. They really don't. And then and then just the idea again because there's so much action on the uh, east and west coast around the AIDS mm-hmm. um, crisis that a lot of people forget that it's still raging so hard in other right. parts of our country. Yes, there's still much work to be done. We strongly encourage every Georgia resident who will be 18 by January to make sure they register to vote. There will be runoff elections in your state, and that can de- that can determine control of our Senate. However, for at least a brief moment, we can all breathe and be thankful to the black voters, black women, black youth, and black queer people, and many other people of color who carried us into a new age. 
Let's keep it moving forward. And above all, keep Georgia on our minds. Your recommended resource is Stacey Abrams' book, Our Time Is Now, Power, Purpose, and a Fight for a Fair America. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And little succulent sathis. And resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus in Georgia. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.